Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Horizon West Church. Uh, it is always a, a celebration when we gather, a celebration of God and of who He is and what He is doing, but uh, today is also a, a sober day. Some of you know why, others of you may not. Uh, I want to I read something that I prepared um, by way of a statement. Our John Young campus is doing the same. I want to begin this morning by recognizing that today marks the six-year anniversary of, without question, the darkest day in Orlando's history. Six years ago on this day, which also happened to be a Sunday, uh, I arrived for regular Sunday morning pre-service prayer time, uh, June 12, 2016, and learned of the horrific massacre that had taken place at the Pulse. By the end of the last Sunday morning service that day, the number of those whose lives were taken had reached 49 with many other wounded, making it the worst act of domestic terrorism since 9-11. This act of unimaginable violence deeply impacted our entire community, but especially the LGBTQ and Hispanic communities who were the specific targets of that perpetrator's hateful actions. I want you to know that in the immediate wake of that day, our church, First Orlando, asked ourselves this all-important question, what would Jesus do? With that question guiding us and under the Spirit's careful guidance, we took action. Our Spanish campus pastor, Israel Martin, and members of that campus were called upon to do the unthinkable, to be the first to inform family members coming from all parts of the U.S. and several Latin American countries that their loved one had not survived. Our venue, the John Young campus, was made available to those same family members and others in the community for a service honoring the remembrance of those 49 victims. In fact, the actions of our church brought open doors of ministry that even led to two or more, but we know of at least two of those individuals who survived the attack at the Pulse, giving their lives to Jesus and being baptized. Those men continue to walk with Jesus to this day. The impact of First Orlando's compassionate response was so profound that it led Florida's State Senator Marco Rubio in his official statement to the congressional record earlier this week to recognize First Baptist Orlando as a force for good in the middle of what was otherwise an evil and chaotic time in our community's history. So today we remember 49 Central Floridians, men and women, who were senselessly and violently taken from the earth. We grieve with family members and friends of those lost. We acknowledge the deep pain they continue to walk with even these six years later. And we, as a church, including all campuses, including Horizon West, we denounce any act of hatred or violence as an act of aggression against the God in whose image all people are made. All people, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of sexuality, people loved by God and people for whom Jesus died. We continue to ask the question in every circumstance, what would Jesus do? And on this day and every day, may God help us to reflect the heart of Jesus who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Would you pray with me as we remember the victims and their families? Father, there is a moment that is etched in my brain and will be till the day that I die. 
And yet, God, for me, it was somewhat peripheral. I didn't know those men and women. I didn't know their families. God, for those who were most directly impacted, uh, these are scars and wounds that in some ways won't ever fully heal. But God, our prayer today as as those family members and friends remember their loved one, our, our prayer is that it would lead them to a greater understanding of you, the one who is working to redeem all things and even in the sense, even in the midst rather of unspeakable evil that you are accomplishing your good purposes. We know that, Lord, because the cross where Jesus died, the worst moment in human history, became the moment of salvation for humanity. God, would you bring grace, would you bring peace, would you bring even salvation to those who need it as we remember even the loss of those 49 lives and grieve with their families. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, friends, for allowing me to to start the the service in that way. Today, as Socrates told you, we're continuing a series that uh, we don't have a really creative name for. We're just calling it the Holy Spirit series. And uh, I've so much enjoyed the preparation of these messages. This is only week two, so if it's your first week, uh, you're coming at a good time. Uh, What I want to do, and by the way, this week I read uh, every New Testament verse, I think, that there is on the Holy Spirit. Um, And here's the big idea. Here's here's kind of the uh, overarching message I want you to hear. The big idea that you need to know is the Holy Spirit's primary function is to glorify God the Father by exalting God the Son. Okay, Spirit exists to glorify God the Father by exalting God the Son as God the Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus is instructing the disciples around the idea of who the Holy Spirit is. He says, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Proceeds from the Father to bear witness about Jesus. In other words, glorifying God the Father by exalting God the Son. Now this is important because it helps us to understand the relationship of God the Spirit to God the Father and God the Son. I showed you a a graphic last week that the word that the, the New Testament uses for Spirit is breath. And the word it uses for Jesus in John chapter 1 is the Word. So the Word is proceeding from the Father by power of the Spirit in a self-exalting, other-exalting relationship of perfect unity. Now, I, I can't really fully unpack that or explain that, but that's what's going on. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, it says that at the end of all things, people of every nation, tribe, and language, no matter what their socioeconomic status was while they lived on earth, are on their faces at the throne of Jesus, lifting up his name to the glory of God the Father. So the exaltation of Jesus, the Son, brings glory to God the Father. This makes sense if you think about it in this way. On Friday, my wife and I were doing a wedding. You say, what do you mean doing a wedding? Well, we're kind of a package deal. I officiate and she does the photography. Um, I'm not making a sales pitch. We've got more work than we can take on right now. I'm just telling you that one of the things that was happening is people were coming up to me and saying, man, your wife is doing such a great job. She's so professional and personable, and I know the pictures are going to be just beautiful. And I didn't know this, but they were going up to her and saying, your husband did such a great job with the ceremony and and waxing on and on. And you know what? When somebody uh, compliments my wife, I go, yeah, that's, that's my girl, you know? And when somebody compliments me to her, she's going, that's, that's my man. We are, we are, in a sense, gratified 
by the exaltation of the other. This is the way it works in the Trinity. And this is God's idea for how human relationships are supposed to work. We should love it when others are lifted up. The scripture says it this way, we should rejoice with those who rejoice even as we mourn with those who mourn like we did just a moment ago. So last week we looked at the identity of Holy Spirit. We answered the question, who is he? And again, pronouns fall short, but we're using the masculine pronoun because that's what the Bible does. This week, we're going to look at the working of Holy Spirit. We're going to answer a different question, not who is he, but what does he do? Now, really, really quickly, I want to pass through what the Spirit has done before Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. What the Spirit has done is, among other things, participated in creation. We know he was hovering over the waters. Spirit inspired the writers of Scripture Spirit brought about the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb, and he empowered the ministry of Jesus, okay? Now, that's kind of past tense. Those are things Holy Spirit has done, but in the life of the church after Pentecost, there are, I believe, three primary ministries of Holy Spirit, and we're going to unpack each of those in just a moment, and I'm going to give us a takeaway for each one. So I'm not going to save our application for the end of the message. I want to drop those as we talk about each specific ministry of Holy Spirit. Let me say one other thing before we jump into the the application and the principles and the points. The way that the Bible introduces Holy Spirit uh, might frustrate some of you. (laughs) The way that Jesus introduces the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers in John 14 through 16 might frustrate some of you, and here's why. Most of you grew up in a Western context, myself included. And Western thinking is step one leads to step two, which leads to step three, which leads to step four, and it all makes perfect sense in a linear fashion. The scripture was not written in a Western format, and Jesus didn't teach that way. So what he did, and what we're going to do, is we're going to kind of touch on things of the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to bounce over to another place, and then we're going to revisit it, and you're going to be, okay, and organizing our thoughts is going to be challenging, but we're going to do it, okay, and we're going to learn a lot about who he is and what he does in our midst as we go. You good? Are you good? Okay. So number one, ministries of the Holy Spirit. Number one, and these are umbrella concepts. You're going to see a lot more under each one. Holy Spirit exists to reveal truth. He exists to reveal truth. Uh, Jesus, when he's introducing Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 through 16, his second favorite way to talk about him is to use the term spirit of truth. I'll share with you a little bit later what his favorite uh, reference point is for Holy Spirit, but spirit of truth is second. So again, in the past, Holy Spirit did this by inspiring the writing of scriptures. Here's how spirit reveals truth, or at least some of the ways that he does that in the present. He does it by illuminating the reading and hearing of scripture. So it's kind of this one-two punch. Holy Spirit is there inspiring the writers of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, to put down exactly what is in the heart of God for us. And then Holy Spirit shows up as the the word is read, listened to, taught, preached, to again help us to understand. Inspiration and illumination are both works of Holy Spirit. Someone said that the Bible is the only book whose author is present every time it's read. And that's a pretty cool concept. Could you imagine sitting with one of the great authors of the classic writings and he's going, well, here's here's what I really uh, was meaning and and here's the intent and here, Holy Spirit is able to do that. He illuminates the scripture as it is read, heard, and taught. 
He also does it by reminding us of the words of Scripture. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says to the disciples, Holy Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let me give you some examples of how this works practically. You're having a hard time forgiving someone and bitterness is beginning to take root in your heart and out of nowhere, not because you read it recently, but somewhere in the recesses of your brain, Holy Spirit brings to the front of your brain the words of Jesus who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you go, ah, I didn't want to do that. (laughs) But Holy Spirit is doing his ministry of revealing truth. Or, Or maybe you're struggling deeply with loneliness. The last two and a half years have been some of the loneliest in human history. Can I give you some grace for that? You are not alone. And you are not strange if you feel a profound sense of loneliness. I'm talking with people who are surrounded by other people and going, I've never felt more alone. And right in the middle of that, perhaps the words of Jesus, not because you've read them recently, but from the back of your mind, they spring to the front where Jesus says to the believers, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And you take comfort. That's the ministry of Holy Spirit. For me, this happened recently. I was talking with a family that's going through a really difficult and complicated season relationally things have gotten sideways all of them are followers of Jesus but it has gotten messy and complicated and and there's some serious breakthrough that's needed and as I was praying for this family right here in the back these words came out of nowhere to me and they're words of Jesus to the disciples this kind comes out only through prayer and fasting and I took that as a word from Holy Spirit to tell the parents who are crying out for help to say Friends, I think the Lord might be calling you to a time of going beyond even prayer to fasting. And they received that as a word from Holy Spirit. So then also, Holy Spirit reveals truth by applying a general truth in a specific way. A general truth of the Bible comes to us in a specific way of application at a specific time and place. This is what it looks like in John 16, verses 12 through 15. Jesus says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are yet to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, this is a little bit of a complicated passage. There's basically two views, and I want to address both of them. One view of this passage is that what Jesus is referring to is additional truths that will come to the disciples before the closing of the New Testament canon, okay? In other words, in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this aha moment where he understands that the gospel is for the Gentiles the same as it is for the Jews, that they're not second-class citizens. It's not Jesus and circumcision, Jesus and sacrifice. Peter didn't understand this when Jesus ascended to the Father, but through the power of the Holy Spirit and divine revelation, he came into the more truth that God had for him. This happened again and again and again. <laughs> it's crazy. We, we, we talk about these people like they were like, you know, they had these halos and they glowed and they walked around. These guys were a mess and they're going, man, what do we do about this? Can I give us some grace to say in the 21st century, we are once again finding ourselves in a place of going, what do we do about this? How do we genuinely love people that are radically thinking different than us? 
How do we marry grace and truth? This is what they were wrestling through. And Holy Spirit, again and again, showed up to give insight, give wisdom and clarity to these issues. Now, I believe there's no question that these and other truths are a significant part of what Jesus is referring to. But I would go one step further because another view of what Jesus is saying includes the Spirit's work in giving additional truth before the closing of the New Testament canon, but that it also includes Jesus's ongoing ministry of revelation by the Holy Spirit, which continues to this day. Holy Spirit, when Revelation 22 in the last verse was written, didn't go, my work here is done. (laughs) Holy Spirit remains active. Holy Spirit remains communicative. Holy Spirit wants to continue to lead and guide us into all truth. Sometimes we call these promptings. Now, I will say this. I've had people come up and say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to, and I go, whoa, 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 (laughs) right? But if I see spiritual maturity, discernment, and somebody says to me, Chris, I I, I don't know. I was wrestling with something. I think maybe the Holy Spirit gave me a word. I want to be receptive. I don't want to go, well, show me the chapter and verse where it says that, because I believe the Holy Spirit remains active and he remains communicative. A few weeks ago, um, a, a very, very close friend He's going through a very, very hard time, and his marriage is falling apart, and I knew that. Been praying for him, been reaching out to him. But it had been several weeks, and I I didn't really know the the specific status of where things are. And I sent him a Marco Polo. I said, hey, I just want you to know uh, the Lord brought you to mind today, praying for you. Uh, If I can support, if I can pray anything specific, let me know. He responded with a Marco Polo, said, it's wild that you Marco Poloed me today because I got the divorce papers in the mail right before you sent that polo didn't know that. And the Bible didn't say on April 23rd, 2022, that I'm to send, it doesn't say that. But what Holy Spirit was doing was taking a general truth of Scripture. We're to encourage one another. We're to speak to one another with kindness. We're to be supportive and available. He took a general truth of Scripture and applied it in a specific way at a specific time to encourage a brother. Now, I need to say this and make it very, very clear. The Spirit of God will never prompt us toward actions that are forbidden by the Word of God. I'm going to say it again. The Spirit of God will never prompt us toward actions that are forbidden by the Word of God. In other words, if you are married, Spirit is never going to prompt you to exchange your spouse for a better model. Okay? That's not what He does. If you're a student, Spirit of God is never going to prompt you to Cheat just a little bit to get a better grade, right? So the Spirit of God is working in concert with the Word of God, but He is not limited to only the words written in black and white or red in the pages of our Bible. He's taking the truth of Scripture and working moment by moment, second by second, to help apply the truth of God's Word to our hearts in specific ways. So here's the takeaway for this section of our talk today, this idea that the Spirit reveals truth. Number one, too much emphasis on Holy Spirit over Scripture is going to lead to a dysfunctional spiritual life. And too much emphasis on Scripture over Holy Spirit will lead us to a diminished spiritual life. So the person who's all spirit and doesn't know anything about this or doesn't stay up to date with it, doesn't stay in the Word of God, is going to end up with a life where the Spirit of God is leading them to do crazy outlandish things that destroy them. Conversely, 
Those who only emphasize the Word of God and shut the voice of the active, present Holy Spirit out of their lives will have a significantly diminished life. They will not access the power, the presence, the goodness, the victory that Holy Spirit came to give here and now. And so we want to be a church that marries these two things. In fact, our goal is to immerse ourselves in both the Word of Truth, the Bible, and the Spirit of Truth to the glory of God. Here's a second way that the Holy Spirit works, a second ministry. Number two, to woo unbelievers. That's a pretty cool word, right? <laughs> we, our, our staff was taking the Strengths Finder test. Have any of you guys done this, the Strengths Finder? Okay, I had never done it. Took the Strengths Finder. Um, I don't know about you, when I took it, I'm like, that's not my number one, but it knows me better than I know myself. But anyway, uh, one of our uh, staff members, their number one on their, or number two, I guess, on their Strengths Finder was woo. And she was like, Woo. It's like, what does that mean? And so we were unpacking it. Well, basically, wooing someone is, is to entice them or draw them into relationship. This is one of the works and ministries of the Holy Spirit, one of the primary works and ministries of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in speaking with a religious leader who knew only law and none of the Spirit, Jesus said this, John 3, verses 5 through 8, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural things, and the Spirit, that person can't enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. That's the way it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Some of you, when you hear the word born again, your mind goes to like, some political movement or the moral majority or guys with comb-overs, that's, that's not, that's not what that term means. I prefer the term rebirth. The Spirit wants to bring rebirth, regeneration in the lives of those who have been unbelievers. Without getting too technical, all of life requires two realities to come together to make it a reality, right? Have I said enough physically? Two parts have to come together to make life. In the same way, it takes two things to regenerate people spiritually to experience rebirth. One is the proclamation of the gospel. The other is the present ministry of Holy Spirit. And you cannot have one without the other. If I stand up here and preach till I'm blue in the face, and, and we've not invited Holy Spirit, and He's not active in the ministry to woo unbelievers, we're just jawing. And, and if we pray fire down, and we don't give people the truth of the gospel, how they can be saved, it doesn't work. We have to marry these two things together. Best picture in all the Bible is Acts chapter 2. So, Peter, remember, the, the Holy Spirit falls uh, like tongues on, on the, they're speaking in tongues, they're proclaiming the gospel. And, and so both of these are present, right? The, the proclamation of the gospel, the present ministry of the Spirit. And, and what happens is that the people, because these two realities are there, the gospel and the work of the Spirit, the response to Peter's preaching is it says the people were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. How did this happen? It happened by the working of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. Now I want to ask you a question. It's important reflective question for you to answer, not to answer to me. Do you remember a time in your life when you came under a profound sense of remorse or grief because of your sin? 
The, the reason I ask this is I'm speaking with more and more people who are in churches, evangelical churches, Christian churches, who when they articulate their faith story, make no mention of sin, of grace, of the cross, or even the name of Jesus. And I'm going, what have we done? The gospel is not, and that's when I just knew God was with me. The gospel isn't, and that's when I started going to church. The gospel is, there came a point in my life when I came under deep conviction of Holy Spirit to confront my sin, to realize that I was not deserving of the presence and the activity of God in my life, and I repented, I changed, I received his gift of salvation, and I walk now in a new way because of Jesus' death and resurrection on my behalf. That's the gospel. And I just want to gently but firmly challenge you, if you've not confronted that issue, if you've not had a moment where you've honestly acknowledged your sin against God and received the gift of salvation, you aren't saved. John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11. You'll notice we keep going back to John 14 to 16. If you want a a deep dive into the Holy Spirit, that's where you're going to go. Jesus says when he comes, Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And I love the present tense there. Not will be judged, already is judged. He's already been rendered powerless. This conviction that I'm talking about is what these Folks, in Acts chapter 2, what they, that cut to the heart. That is the conviction of Holy Spirit. It's, in our case, we might say it as remorse or grief or honestly acknowledgement. Some of us aren't super emotional creatures. There must still be an acknowledgement of our sin and our need for grace. Here's the big takeaway for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to woo unbelievers. Number one, we must never stop proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must never stop doing that. We must never take for granted that people are showing up understanding what the gospel is. We must proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our salvation, that the repenting of sin, those must be present in the preaching of the word. There is a quote that is falsely attributed to St. Francis. I say falsely, meaning he did not say it. That goes, preach the world at all times and when necessary, use words. It is necessary. It is more necessary than ever before. Now the sentiment is, don't just be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Demonstrate the gospel. Like, live it out for people so that when you share the good news, they're receptive to it. Yes and amen. But we're increasingly living in a world where generations are coming up going, well, I'm not supposed to offend people. I'm not supposed to say it's my way or this way or that way, and people are going a lifetime and potentially all of eternity never hearing the good news. They can be saved because we're afraid to preach the gospel. So we must proclaim, and secondly, we must never stop praying for the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of unbelievers. If you only have the opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus or to talk to Jesus about the person, choose the latter. 
Because if you're not naming the names of those who need Jesus before the Father, if you're not asking the wooing, enticing, drawing ministry of the Holy Spirit to take root in their lives, you're just a clanging gong or a resounding symbol. You're just making noise. So we pray. We pray for lost people to be reached. We pray for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to take root in their lives. And we proclaim the gospel that has the power to save them. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. And here's the third primary ministry of Holy Spirit. And again, you're going to leave here going, man, he left a lot out. Just, just stay with us. A third primary ministry is this, that he aids believers. He exists to aid believers. I told you that the spirit of truth was Jesus' second favorite way to refer to the Holy Spirit, but the most frequent way that Jesus himself talked about Holy Spirit was with a single word. It's translated in the ESV as helper. Alternatively, it's translated as advocate or counselor. The Spirit exists to help us who have put faith in Jesus to live out the call of the cross in our lives. He does this by guiding us in truth. We've already covered that. He's prompting us, leading us, guiding us. He also does this by confirming our salvation, which is really cool. Because some people will say, man, how can you know that you're saved? That seems really arrogant. How do you know that you've done enough? And the answer is, it's not arrogant, because the answer is, I know I haven't done enough. I know the blood of Jesus is sufficient. That's how I know. Uh, One theologian preacher said it this way, when he gets to heaven, he's going to say, the man on the middle cross told me I could come. (laughs) It's as simple as that. And, And Holy Spirit works to confirm the presence of Jesus in our lives, that we are, in fact, children of God. So we know it by his ministry. We also know it because the word makes it plain. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved. Not everyone who calls on the Lord and goes to church and does enough good. No, everyone. Man, woman, or child. In all human history that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. We can know for sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a wish. No. (laughs) As a guarantee. Holy Spirit in our lives guarantees that we belong to God. That we have been saved. It's one of the great ministries. And I believe it's so important because, I don't know about you. For me, the place the enemy of our souls most relentlessly attacks me is here. Man, Chris, how can you be a Christian and dot, dot, dot? It's really bad when you're a pastor. How can you be a Christian pastor and have those thoughts? How how can you, and that relentless onslaught, it's the same thing the devil did with Jesus in the wilderness when he said, if you are the son of God, prove it. The, the, uh, The unspoken implication there is the devil saying to Jesus, sons of God don't suffer. They don't experience hunger. They don't let other people run the world. If you're really the son of God, it would be different. And he whispers the same thing in our ears relentlessly. If you really are a child of God, a son or a daughter. And Holy Spirit whispers louder, hopefully, you belong. The blood of Christ is sufficient. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm for you. You are his. Did you know that the name Satan actually means accuser? 
That's, that's what it means. And, and so I love in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Son of God, Jesus, advocates for us to the Father. And what the Holy Spirit does, according to Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this is crazy, crazy cool, okay? Four, four entities at play here. Father, Son, Spirit, and you. And on one side, you've got Jesus advocating for us to the Father. Jesus saying, hey, Father, I, I know, I, I see what you see, but my blood is sufficient for them. I, I've covered them. They belong. They're my child. I went to the cross for them. They've received a welcome to heaven. That, that one is mine. He advocates for us to the Father. Father, Son. And then the Spirit is with us, advocating to us for us. The Spirit is the one saying to us, hey, get up, brush yourself off, confess, be healed, move forward. You belong. You are not forsaken. You are not condemned. You are with him. He is for you. The Spirit is the witness and advocate to us, while the Son witnesses and advocates to the Father. Is that not cool? <laughs> the Spirit exists in part to do this very ministry of confirming our salvation. He also convicts of sin. Now, I want to acknowledge the shortcoming of the word convict. Um, someone established the fact that that, uh, that word never applies in the Bible to believers, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is for unbelievers to come to repentance. Um, in fact, there, there's almost no biblical evidence to support the idea that the Spirit convicts us. Uh, I got a text from Simon, actually, uh, last night, because he saw my notes. I don't know how he got my notes, but I'm glad he did. And, and he said, oop, time out. Because there is a place, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7 or 2 Corinthians 7, where it says that God produces in us godly sorrow to lead us to repentance. Now, we could infer that that work is Holy Spirit, I believe it is, but regardless, God does produce that. So, so this conviction of sin, it's, a better word might be convincing, because conviction carries with it the idea of a judge slamming the gobble, and spirit does not work that way. Spirit is our advocate. Spirit is our defender, not our judge. But conviction of sin is, is, I think most people, or at least most Christians, understand what we mean by that through conversation, but also through personal experience. One of the things that has started to happen to me as I have stepped into middle-agedhood, I'm confessing that here and now, I'm a middle-aged man. My name is Chris. Um, my fuse is getting shorter. Guys, help me out here. Is that a thing? When we get older, do we have to fight that harder? I'm, yell I'm yelling at my kids more. I, I say yelling. I'm raising my voice at my kids. And, and what happens is within about 30 and a half seconds, the ministry of the Spirit works to convict me of sin. And, and, and here's, here's what he's actually doing. He's not beating me upside the head saying, you idiot. That's, that's the enemy. I have both, right, going on. The Spirit is doing what comes natural to the Spirit. He's revealing truth to me. And in this case, Chris... You shouldn't have done that. It wasn't the right response. And then he's working to bring freedom because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And he brings freedom in that scenario in two ways. One, he frees me from the weight and the guilt and grip of sin being anger toward my children through confession of sin. Addison, Olivia, Jonah, I'm sorry that I raised my voice at you. It wasn't the right way to handle that. I, didn't, I shouldn't have spoken that way to you. I don't want anybody else speaking that way to you. And I just acknowledge that it was wrong. Do you forgive me? 
Boom, done. I'm not projecting, uh, I'm just this terrible person, I, you know, please forget. I'm not putting that weight on them. I'm acknowledging the sin, confessing it, and I'm bringing freedom to myself. I'm also bringing them, or at least inviting them into freedom, because now they can have the experience of forgiveness and not hold bitterness in their heart. There are people walking all over planet Earth that hate their fathers. In large part because, men, we do a really terrible job of humbling ourselves, especially to our children. Now, I'm, I'm convicting. I apologize. But if the Holy Spirit's using that, then let it be. Some of us need to hear that word. So he's using that to drive us to a better place. This isn't in my notes. Do you remember? Am I out of time? No, I'm good. Do you, do you remember? Y'all don't care. I know that, right? A lot of you. Some of you do. You're like, the first time here, I expected to get out at, at 1030. Hang, hang with us. We will. Do you remember that when Jesus is crucified, there's two guys that have just completely blown it. One's a guy named Peter, and he's sitting in the house going, man, how could I have done this terrible? How could I have renounced Jesus in his moment of greatest need? But Peter hangs in there, and God produces in Peter a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and God was just getting started with him. Your sin does not disqualify you, friend. If you've got something in your closet, you're going, man, if you knew this, my ministry would be over. No, no, no. God is a God of redemption. He redeems Peter and gives him the keys to the kingdom to lead the early church. But then there's this other guy, Judas. And Judas goes out and he hangs himself because in Judas, godly sorrow was not present. Guilt and condemnation was. We, we walk every day between these two voices. The ministry of the Spirit working toward reconciliation, grace, forgiveness, freedom, and the work of the enemy to bring accusation and condemnation. Spirit is working toward our good. Now this experience, I want you to know, what it feels like is that it illegitimizes our relationship with God. Man, I, if I was a Christian, I, I wouldn't raise my voice. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think those thoughts. You want to hear some good news? The experience I just described serves not to illegitimize your status as a child of God. It actually serves to legitimize it. It actually is part of the very evidence that Spirit of God lives in you. Man, that's good news. If I can sin and just walk away like nothing was done, one of two things, either Spirit of God doesn't exist, uh, live in me, I'm not a Christian, or I have so stifled His voice, we're going to talk about this next week, I've so quenched Holy Spirit that as Paul said about some of the end times, my conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. That's a dangerous place to be. Doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian, but it means there's going to need to be a real reckoning and brokenness in your life. Let's keep going. Spirit uh, does this aiding of believers by interceding for us in prayer. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And the one who searches our hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I've told you a couple times, John 14 to 16 is probably the best place to go for a big picture idea of Holy Spirit. But if you want to know the ministry of Holy Spirit in your life, man, Romans 8. It starts with there's no condemnation and it ends with nothing will separate us from the love of God. And that work is the ministry of Holy Spirit. He's interceding for us to God in our prayers. I know some of you feel like or have felt like at some time that your prayers are bouncing around the room. Anybody been there? Just like, it's like that, that game on your computer or whatever. It's like, man, it's just going nowhere. 
Here's, here's what's awesome. The Holy Spirit of God translates the aching of our soul, not the eloquence of our words. He's not impressed by flowery dialogue. He's not impressed by how well we can articulate what is in our mind and spirit through flowery language. He's actually interpreting the aching of our soul when we're just simply weeping before the Lord. It's prayer. When when we're crying out before God, the Spirit of God himself is there interceding for us in prayer. In this way, the ministry of the Holy Spirit works, at least in some capacity, like a mother with a child. When our children were little, uh, my wife, I think intuitively knew that they had different cries that meant different things. This was a very strange thing for me. She knew the hungry cry, the sleepy cry, and the angry cry, because there is an angry cry. Usually it's married to the hungry cry, but that's, uh, that's another topic. And so Nikki could say to me, mother to father, wife to husband, this is what our child needs based on the cry. This is something like what the Holy Spirit is doing for us to the Father. He's saying, you're going to hear some words coming through, but, but this is what the need is. This is what the aching of the soul truly is. The Spirit is interceding. I might even use the word translating our incompetent, inept language to get through to God what we actually desire and what we need. And the Holy Spirit is changing us into the likeness of Christ. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.13 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, sanctification is a big word. You don't need to necessarily know it, but you need to know the idea. In theological terms, sanctification is the work of Holy Spirit to transform our personality, desires, and behaviors to look more and more like Jesus. That process is sometimes called sanctification. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to do just that. In other words, the takeaway, spiritual maturity is reflected not in greater measures of independence. That's how we measure maturity in children. Spiritual maturity is measured in greater measures of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I should learn to be like an infant to him, to cry my needs to him to rely on his nurture, his nourishing, his feeding. Him to hold me when I'm struggling. Him to give me wisdom when I need it. I'm not becoming more and more the independent man. I am a rock, I am an island. No, spiritual maturity says depend on the Spirit. Listen to Holy Spirit. Learn from Holy Spirit. Walk in the way of a child with your good Father. See, I believe it's the reason why right in the middle of Jesus's Hallmark teaching on Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, he says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you know that apart from Holy Spirit, you can produce nothing of any value to God or in the world. You go, but man, I I give all this money to charity. I show up every week. I help old ladies cross the street. I do all. If the spirit is not in it and it is not of faith, it earns you nothing. We rely on Holy Spirit 
fully. And here's the vision that I want to cast for you as, as we close. I want to ask this question, what could it look like if hundreds of people who call Horizon West Church home learn to live every day in greater levels of surrender to the power and presence of Holy Spirit? I want to give you a glimpse of perhaps what it might look like. It might look like the transformation of builders and shapers of the Horizon West community, including Disney executives, medical experts, and political leaders who now are taking the Holy Spirit of God into places of power. Maybe it looks like revival spreading like wildfire through our elementary, middle, and high schools. Maybe it looks like small groups and Bible studies breaking out and emerging in every neighborhood, on every street, and at every coffee shop. People being led to Jesus in fitness centers, at dog parks, and on jogging trails, and single individuals, couples, and families being sent from Horizon West to all parts of the world with the good news that there is a Savior named Jesus. And what if we, every day, just woke up and said this simple prayer, good morning, Holy Spirit, have your way with me today. Good morning, Holy Spirit, have your way with me today. Friends, we've covered a lot of ground today, uh, but we are just scratching the surface. There is a lot more to come. Some of the concepts I've touched on will take deeper. I want to encourage you to continue to come out. I know many of you are on vacation. You're battling sickness. Please continue watching. I, I, I desperately desire to see our church live in greater levels of the power and presence of Holy Spirit in our lives. And so next week, we're going to talk about this specific topic. We're going to talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to tackle three of the most controversial and misunderstood topics that deal with Holy Spirit. So I want to invite you to come back or to watch online. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for being present with us today. God, thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but you sent a helper, an advocate, a comforter, the spirit of truth into our hearts. God, of all the resources, all the gifts, everything that we have in our possession, none is greater than this, that we have Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling within us. Would you teach us, God? Would you teach us to walk with Him? Would you teach us to listen to Him? Lord, in the places of our shortcomings, in the places where there are stubborn strongholds, by the power of Holy Spirit, would you break those? God, would you bring freedom for where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Let it be here at Horizon West Church and in our area. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.